Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From our socially distanced virtual lunch table in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Mader, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mater. In case you were born after 2000, DJ stands for disc jockey. And true to the name, that's what DJs used to do. They wrote a record till it broke and became a hit. Today, being a DJ isn't so much about introducing people to new music. At least, that's not the case with DJs on mainstream radio. Hits are everywhere, and you can stream them any way you want. People tune in with expectations of what they want to hear. Uh, That's why my guest, DJ Digital, a.k.a. Brandon Journey, says... He's in the gathering business. Digital is old enough to remember hauling sacks of vinyl from gig to gig, but young enough to have probably been underage at the time. Locally, you know him as an on-air personality on Hot 107.9, and he also hosts a nationally syndicated hip-hop show via Town Square Media called XXL Higher Level Radio. DJ Digital, welcome to Out to Lunch. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here, and I'm glad you knew all of the terminology before we even got started, because normally that eats up. 30 minutes of any interview. So this is great. This is going to be a good conversation. Okay, good. (laughs) I'll see if I can keep that going. Of course, you know, restaurants were always in the gathering business. Ambience and culture in a dining room is often as important as what's on the plate. And in a place like Acadiana, where everyone can cook, you have to have some other kind of edge. Restaurateurs often miss this crucial step in developing their businesses and making the restaurants stand out and leave a lasting impression is essential to success. And with razor thin margins, getting it wrong can be devastating. My next guest helps restaurants avoid those traps. John Peterson is a consultant with Social Advising, a company that contracts with new restaurants to shore up and design their businesses from the back of the house to the front door. John is a serial entrepreneur and a partner in some successful restaurants himself, including Central Pizza and Bar in downtown Lafayette. John, welcome to Out to Lunch. Hey, thanks. Happy to be here. So, Digital, I wanted to kind of start with you. Um, So, you came up doing this locally, and now you're hosting a syndicated show, and that puts you in, you know, a few dozen markets around the country. And and I feel like, you know, something we often hear about big radios that can make every town sound alike, you know, when DJs used to really be a local flavor. So, do you find that you're still able to bring, you know, being a DJ from Lafayette, you know, to the rest of the world? Like, how do you even go about doing that? Yeah. Uh, So, you know, it's a challenge, man. It really is because, you know, doing local radio for the majority of my radio career, the huge focus was local, local first. It was actually something that, you know, I thought should be more radio than uh, maybe some other radio companies or other radio strategies. It was always, you know, play the biggest hit, make sure you kind of do the most vanilla thing. You know, you don't want to turn off too many people, but you want to appeal to the most. And, you know, we really Luckily, with the, the company that I work for, Town Square Media, the Town Square uh, local first has always been the thing. So, you know, it's coming from doing the local first thing uh, and having to actually hop on and be relevant and engaging, but with the vanilla content, but make it feel local. 
um, in a place like Buffalo, but also maybe in an Austin or a Midland or uh, Sacramento or Grand Rapids, any town USA from the smallest uh, to bigger places, you know, it's a challenge because it's not like you can get away with being any less interesting. And it, it takes extra work. Actually, man, I usually talk with the programmers in each market. I try to like find out what they've got going on. So even even if I say something, you know, Buffalo, right? They were gone pretty far in the playoffs. I made sure to mention that because it was a global thing that everyone knew was going on, but it really yeah, sounds true. great in that market because, you know, how long has it been since those guys have been in the postseason? So, you know, little tidbits, just kind of paying attention to where certain artists are from. If there's an artist that we're playing in the mainstream, shout out their hometown. You know, there's a kid from Corpus uh, who's, who's kind of coming up now. So anytime I can, you know, I know it's going to resonate in that market. So it's a little extra work, but you, you know, you, you kind of try to be as local as possible, knowing that you're kind of throwing a wide cast net. So uh, I can tell you it makes radio exciting and fun uh, for sure. So the host, I think before your XXL show was, was from maybe from New York, or maybe that's kind of the more conventional, you know, sure. seat for somebody who does a national broadcast. I mean, what what's it like being, you know, a Lafayette based DJ trying to speak to an a national audience. I mean, does that even really interact with what you do or, 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 or does it matter? I mean, do people really care? Like, Oh, this guy's not coming out of New York. So I don't, why should I care what he thinks? Sure. Uh, so, you know, I think it does come down. It, it's, it's the world we're in now. Like, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm speaking, you know, to, to technology 10, 15 years ago, but the internet literally makes everything possible. Not only like the illusion that you kind of know everything, but literally you can be tapped into everything going on because communication so quick. I mean, there's not much happening on a hyper local scene that we're not aware of. So, you know, it, 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 the pandemic actually allowed me to start this show from home because there were, there wasn't an option, you know, New York was literally locked down. So I couldn't even get up uh, to the double XL offices to, you know, to, to jive with those guys within there, the content creators, you know, they were, they were in New York, but on zoom anyway. So it's, you know, it kind of didn't matter whether I was in Brooklyn, Queens, or if I was in Lafayette, Louisiana, actually the hills of upper Lafayette, where I'm coming from actually right now today. So uh, it was, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a blessing and a curse. We talk about what the pandemic is sometimes to us, but uh, you know, communication makes it possible for us to literally be anywhere at all times. Yeah. Uh, so John, I kind of wanted to bring you in here. I I'm, I'm really curious you know, how receptive new restaurants and new ideas are to your concept, because you know, getting a getting a restaurant's really expensive, right? Getting that going is already expensive, and so I could imagine, you know, when you're trying to do your business development, somebody says, "Well, you know, I don't really need another cost. Like, why do I need a consultant whenever I'm already facing, you know, a situation where I'm going to have razor thin margins and a ton of expenses to get it up?" I mean, how do you make that sale whenever you're already dealing with somebody who is just, you know, snowed under yeah. with bills? Well, I think in the case of someone who's starting a new concept, I think it's precisely because of those reasons that they sometimes see the value of bringing in someone who has experience and has sort of already made the mistakes that they're bound to make on their own. Um, so I think that's the, that's sort of the easiest part of the pitch. And like you mentioned in your intro, because so many people here, we have such a strong culinary heritage. A lot of people can cook really great. Um, and sometimes that gets misinterpreted into thinking that maybe they could own or run a, a restaurant and they're two very different things. Obviously great food is an important ingredient in that. Um, but so, so I think a lot of people kind of run into that conundrum. Uh, and then once they're exposed to how many complicated decisions um, come up every day in the course of, of running a restaurant, um, 
then they're a little bit more open to to seeking some advice from somebody who's literally made every mistake you can you can possibly make and we're that's i mean we're very open about that with with new with new potential clients is like look you mean you can just press fast forward on this and get through all of the the crap that you're gonna you're gonna mess up because we've done it all um hopefully we're we're a lot better for it now um but yeah What's the, so I got to ask, I mean, like you, you said, you've made every mistake. I mean, what's like the one mistake that you feel like you relate to, like right at the front where you start with somebody, whoa, 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 we've been down that road. Yeah. Don't do I that. think the, the, the biggest initial mistake people make is, is um, just a little bit of magical thinking when it comes to what the actual investment is, is going to be. Um, and, and sometimes there are people who can find success through um, really sort of bootstrapping an idea in a, in a really sort of limited way. And, um, low cost. Um, but that's really difficult to do. So I think the, the number one mistake people make is, is sort of when they come into the idea of I'm going to open a restaurant, if they're basing that on, uh, you know, I'm a great cook and I, I know how to make some great things. And I think I'll have a great menu. Generally that will be followed by a general misunderstanding of how complicated the process is, is going to be. Um, so I think that's, that's a really common thing. And, and it becomes a very eye-opening situation when we, you know, initially go into work with somebody, I guess in this situation specifically, who's like, I got a concept, I want to, I want to open this and we're going to do sort of a turnkey project with them, or we would like to, is when we lay out basically the scope of work that is involved in successfully getting a restaurant from concept to opening day. I think that's a pretty like clear moment for people when they realize like, Oh yeah, I didn't even I didn't even know that I didn't know seventy percent of this stuff that I was going to have to do this. Um, so I think that's something really important that we bring to the table is just a level of like organization and having done it, we know all the all the steps, and it's it's a gargantuan uh, effort that's that's required. So I, I you know I think it's almost as useful for people to see that and decide that it is not a good idea. <laughs> as it is for people to see it. And I mean, and we really take, I mean, when we, when we're talking with, with potential clients, we really take that tack or we, we almost want to scare people off because it's, it's a tough business and you're right. It's, it's tiny margins and it takes really tight control of everything to make it work. Right. And um, we kind of see it as like, man, we would really do some people a big favor if we could like nip this in the bud from the beginning and, and show them exactly what they're getting into. And some people take the plunge after that and some people don't. So. Digital, I got to think that like, okay, you got a job that a lot of people probably, you know, go in a, they get, they get in the car, right? And they put a playlist together and they think to themselves like, hey, I've got good taste. I could teach other people to like good music. So I could be a DJ, like kind of the same thing. Like somebody's at home and they're saying like, I can make a pot roast. I could be a cook. I mean, like, I guess I'm curious, like, imagine you're going to start, you know, uh, digital advising for, for young gathering business types. I mean, like what's, what's the mistake that people make whenever they get into your line of work? Uh, man, you know, it's funny. Cause I, there's so many parallels as John was just, you know, speaking and it's like, everyone thinks that they can do it because they did it once. And like, there's a phrase that I always tell people, whether it's a new artist, giving us a new song because they need their song on the radio because all their friends really like it. And every time they've played it for people, you know, in a first person atmosphere, because who's going to tell you your music sucks, right? Like, Everyone I've played it for loves it. We need to get it on the radio. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, this does sound cool. And I think the thing that comes up in my mind, and I tell myself this every day, do it again. You know, if you did something, oh, this is great. I did this up. Well, can, can you do it again tomorrow? Because I got to go in tomorrow and do it again. Um, you know, it, even in a club atmosphere, let's take it out of the radio station and 
uh, at the club. Who doesn't know what the biggest song in the world is? And they want to hear it at nine. And I'm like, hey, but when everyone gets here at 10 and I played it at nine, you know, like, you know, do I play it again? Like, what's what do I play after this? So it's it's everyone's got the best idea right now in the moment. I'm sure, John, you've had a lot of people tell you what you needed on your menu. I mean, everyone likes pizza. Why doesn't every restaurant at least offer a slice of pizza? Because everyone loves it. So you hear that a lot. And, uh, and, and yeah, everyone can do it better. And the truth is, it's a hard truth, I think, because I also, in addition to being on air, you know, I program the station. I'm the, brand, I'm the manager of the brand. I have to look at it in a way of um, everybody's got the best idea and everyone's got all the technology. We don't own the records anymore. I never worked in radio when we owned it. Maybe the beginning of my career in like 03, 04, we would actually get promos where we would have a single and then the album would be out like two months later. I think about DJs who literally had the hottest song out and no one can get it. And the only place you can consume it was radio. What is that life like? Because I still haven't gotten to the new Cardi B that came out at 11 p.m. our time last night. Everyone had it and probably played it a thousand times before I woke up this morning. So that's the world we live in. Everyone gets it at the same time. So it's you know, you're not going to maybe break the obvious new music, but it is our job to maybe curate playlists, curate uh, a format for a specific demographic or a specific region. And so we really try to hone in and it goes back to that thing we talked about earlier, local. You know, we're playing the hottest music, but what are we doing in between the records to keep the people hanging around and localize it and entertain them with what we know they obviously love? Because the market really dictates, and I'm sure, again, John parallels, the market kind of dictates what we do in a weird way. Uh, it's not we'll do anything wild, you know? Yeah. An interesting word you brought in there too is, is curating. Um, and I think that there's some crossover there too, because, you know, like you said, people have such quick access to, to new music now. And this is true in so many different areas of creative work. There, there's an increasing value, I think, on being able to curate well, um, because just having the raw access to the thing is, is becoming pretty universal. Um, so having the ability to curate things into a way that feels like, um, you know, there's a brand, there's a branding element to that, which is, which is like, okay, I'm about to lay out a full show for you. And yeah, you can go find these things one by one, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to give you a vibe right now, start to finish. Yeah. We're, we're literally a playlist. Radio stations are playlists. Let's call it what it is. And, you know, it's curated because it's not the same playlist that it was a month ago. There's 70% of the same things there but they may play in a different order. They may play at a different frequency level. And there may be something new that kind of comes in between those last two things that you're familiar with. And you're like, what is, you know, so there is the element of discovery in some of the, the less obvious new songs and, uh, and, and, you know, the curating man and knowing an area and what people love. I'm, I'm sure you could throw a fried seafood platter, John, onto any menu and you know, oh, okay, well that wor that's worked here forever. Of course that's gonna work. But kind of knowing what elements of those things that have worked. I've always said, uh, you know, radio for me and reinventing radio into what we are, which is so much more than a terrestrial product is, you know, embracing all these new things and these new technologies and just these new, you know, elements, but also not forgetting what got you to the dance. You know, the tried and true things that will never go away part of your industry, whether it's restaurants, music, whatever. So I think you kind of have to have knowledge of that, which goes back to consulting, you know, like what if I could help you avoid all the pitfalls and the mistakes that I made um, and the things that you would need literally 20 years. Uh, I mean, isn't that part about restraint too? It's like you have to have restraint oh, yeah. so that you, your, your brand doesn't wander off in other directions that aren't you. Yeah. One of the cool things you said, and I don't know if we're at the lunch table uh, part, but I'm going to go right into it is, 
learning how to say no has been one of the biggest, you know, it took me a while to learn it, but once I learned how to say no, and, and I don't mean that in a negative context, when you learn how to avoid being everything to everyone or thinking you can be is really when you can focus on anything that you're doing and, and you avoid pitfalls naturally that way, because, you know, I can't, I can't imagine, John, if you literally said yes to everyone with the, the, the next best idea for a restaurant in Lafayette during a pandemic. <laughs> You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm talking to radio host DJ Digital and John Peterson of Social Advising. You know, so both of you guys have, have uh, you know, I kind of tease this idea because I think it's a really interesting concept, right? The idea of being in the gathering business, right? And I, I would imagine those things like, with, with restaurants, like that's just what they are, right? Restaurants have been places where people gather forever. I mean, since they were invented, but that's got to be a newer concept, uh, I would think, digital for, for what you're doing. Because I mean, even before there was digital radio and streaming platforms and all that, I mean, radio was something that you might have done by yourself. I mean, meaning the listener, or maybe you were hanging out with your friends or whatever, but like the like, it's something that you were doing at a distance. So what does is, what is gathering business really look like around a radio station, whether it's, you know, streaming online or coming through my car stereo? Sure. So I think, you know, the gathering business is, is almost you think about what is the gathering point and the gathering point is music and the gathering point might be conversation. The gathering point may be a meme. The gathering point may be a, a topic of discussion. The gathering point may be a local event like Patty in the Park. The gathering event may be a, a live remote at a brand new restaurant that John just consulted with uh, where everyone comes together because, man, I, I saw that thing being built and I was wondering what it was. And now we're all together talking about this thing and man, food and music. Those are two things here in South Louisiana that we tend to agree on for the most part, no matter what walk of life, side of town, socioeconomic status. And man, we've been missing it heavily in our in our local, you know, just our local culture in general. And those are the places where, again, it, it doesn't matter who you are or what you said in the comment section of whatever social media app you're on. I feel like we're missing that common ground of music and food, the gathering around it. Um, so, you know, I've realized myself, I'm not in the DJ business. Again, the wedding business, the, you know, any of that. I'm 100%, I'm a shell of my former self when people can't gather. So uh, somehow I've figured out a way to do it in different ways, but there's nothing like that organic, you know, peer-to-peer -peer, actual tangible gathering uh, here in our community. So has that so has that function changed much, John, in the restaurant industry? I mean, I don't want to take it for granted that the way we think about restaurants as places to get together is the same as it was hundreds of years ago. I mean, it just they seem naturally social, but I mean, I don't want to assume that when you're thinking through a new restaurant concept, you know, I don't want to assume it's this it it, it it's a variable that you plug in in the same way. I mean, has it really changed? I mean, do you find that you have to think about it differently? Um, no, I don't, I don't think it's changed. I mean, gathering over a meal is a very um, sort of essential human behavior. Um, and I, I think that's what a restaurant does. I mean, obviously there's a, there's a ton of different ways to do that. And when, when we're looking at a new project, you know, a lot of it depends on what the, the style of the service is, what the style of the restaurant is, what, you know, a lot of what my my personal part of of this work is is uh, building brands, designing brands, and designing experience. And you know, when I was coming from my previous company, Swamp Pop, and then get, kind of getting started in in restaurants, well, there's, there was a bunch of overlap there. But one thing that really fascinated me about restaurants was I had been used to this industry where I was very disconnected from the customer, from the person who was buying my product, because I. 
I manufacture my soft drinks. I sell them to a, a distributor and they sell it to a retailer and then they sell it to a customer. And it was hard to keep a handle on what the experience of the, you know, that's a, that's a very dislocated uh, sort of brand management. And it was an interesting challenge. But once I, once I got into the restaurant business with my partners, that interaction was so immediate. Um, and that was so fascinating to me, you know, rather than these distant transactions, it's like the people come right through the door. They're right there in front of you. They see what you've done with the space. They see the menu. They see the, so the experience is like, I can watch them have it. And I love that about this business, but, I, but I'm still very, you know, any project we do, I still feel very connected to that thing, which is like, these folks are, are walking, they're choosing to drive here, walk here, walk in this door and have an experience with us. Uh, and that's still like right at the core of, of what we're doing. Yeah. So some of the, you know, I kind of thought about when, you know, digital was talking about like sort of the challenge of, you know, kind of the centralized programming and, and how to find ways to make, um, you know, to, to make variation within, within that sameness, right? Like when, if you're a consultant and you're kind of, you know, if you kind of expand this out and you think, all right, well, I'm going to help educate and teach restaurants and help them brand themselves. Like, is there a risk here that you end up just sort of creating the same restaurant over and over? I mean, how do you make sure that like the stamp that you put on it doesn't just end up being like, well, we've just created an assembly line of successful restaurants, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you, I think it's something you have to watch out for. I mean, you have to constantly be pulling from different areas of life, I think, to, to have inspiration that whether it's from music or from art or from different areas of culture to, to try to, because I mean, there's a, there's an absolute creative element to this that you, and you don't want to find yourself in a box where you're just sort of recreating a cookie cutter formula. Obviously, I mean, with restaurants, there are some things that are going to be, you know, a little bit standard and, and, and that's the stuff that, you know, you, you can try to put your own twist on it. But the other thing is, you know, we really want our work to be an expression of what the the client's vision is. So if someone, a lot of times, if someone's opening a restaurant, they've been thinking about it for years. They've been dreaming about it. They have an idea of, of what it's supposed to be. Um, and that's unique to them. So when, when we, if we come in to help a client do that, you know, we want, we want their vision to speak through our work. So we're always starting from what their dream is and then kind of working backwards to make sure that the fundamentals and everything make, make sense for it. So I think they add some of that flavor too of, of, you know, I'm trying to just be a conduit for their vision and then add some creativity, add some experience to that so that they get to the right place. Digital, is there like a, you know, like a, an ideal that you're reaching for when you're doing this kind of programming? I mean, something in your mind, maybe like, you know, a DJ when you were a kid that you were thinking about a lot, like, and how they, you know, curated their, 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 their playlist. I mean, how do you do that? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, to kind of echo what John just said, it's to answer the question again, there's so many parallels between, you know, what we're doing, but I think at the end of the day, it's like, if I, if I rolled up to every gig that I played to play what I, and I've seen some DJs make this terrible mistake, and some DJs make a great living playing what they want to play or what they made. And I want to play all of my remixes. And some people show up. They're also known as concerts where those artists, you go to see them play all their songs. Um, but, you know, for the most part, you know, I'm, I'm as a disc jockey for the most part, whether it's on the radio or if it's anywhere else, I think about 
you know, what are the Venn diagrams of, you know, okay, who, well, who's going to be here? All right, well, what what is a R and b lover love? And then how does that overlap with a pop lover? And how does that overlap with maybe someone who just graduated from college and has only listened to the hardest rap music their whole life? And I literally have to think about, all right, well, wh where are they from? Does their mom live here? Well, these are the records they probably heard. Have they listened to this radio station their whole life? So like all these things are literally moving around in my head. And I'm like, all right, well, it's my job to be the algorithm to kind of connect all those dots. So uh, it, it's true. I, it's not about me more than it's about recognizing that vision of the where instead of it being a, someone with a dream, it would be, um, you know, the client. Who are we serving? Um, whether that's a listener or someone who's hired me, uh, knowing their vision. And most more times than not, people do the, you know what you're doing. You, you know what to do. And I'm like, Sure, I do, but I also know that you have like expectations and you just don't know how to vocalize them. But so it's it's really kind of that culture thing that uh, John's talking about. I mean, knowing all of this from like as far left and as far right as possible, um, you know, and, and eras and just really doing your homework. And uh, I've always believed in um, studying what came before you so you got to go back to go forward so i do as much i'm a student of the game when it comes to music i'm still to this day going man i've heard this sample at least in two other songs you know just throughout my career and it, i'll dig to the root of the like the drum break to understand why every time i hear this horn or this stab or this drum break or this sample it seems like the song's always a hit. Then I end up going back and finding out, oh, of course, it was this producer, this drummer, this person. So little nuances like that. I mean, I could probably take up the whole program to tell you about it, but it all makes sense, man. And it's, it's just kind of knowing what came before you. Um, you know, to me, that's the ideal, if you will, just delivering on expectations for the most part. Uh, or should I say, don't fall short of people's expectations. That's always my, my goal in anything that I do, just kind of understanding what do they expect out of this? And just go a little, just be a little bit better than that. John, do you find that like restaurants generally have a pretty good idea of who they're trying to reach? I mean, some of what, what digital is talking about, right, is like those nostalgic points that like kind of connect everybody that like we all sort of know, well, we've heard that somewhere, but like, you know, you're trying to reach your audience or whatever. But, you know, sometimes it feels like, you know, a restaurant could be so ambitious that it doesn't understand that its market actually needs to be a little bit more democratic and understanding what they're eating. I mean, how do you coach them through who they're trying to feed, right? Yeah, I don't know. This is this is something that is a kind of a tug of war, I, I think, inside me and, and inside other restaurant owners. There's two sides to this. There's there's some people that have a lot of success by doing exactly their thing, and they just have a knack for, for what people are going to want, and maybe they don't even know that they want it yet. And it's just like they just have a gift for like, I'm going to make my food, and I'm going to do it my way, and people are going to love it, and and they do. And then other people can maybe overthink the other side of the equation of like, okay, where are we? You know, we're a restaurant in uh, Brobridge. Okay, what do the people in Brobridge want to eat? Okay, this is what I'm going to make. And sometimes you can you can make some hay that way too. But I think that it it falls somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, there's this idea of like when you're creating something, make it um, make it familiar enough that people recognize what it is but make it different enough that it's, it's not the same. And there's this sort of balance between those two things. And I think that's where, when, when restaurants have the most success, that's where they're finding like the, the sweet spot. Yeah. It's familiar. So, you know, people can uh, understand it. I know what this is, but there's a twist on it or there's something a little bit different. And that makes it like, ah, okay, I'm ready to take the next step in that direction with that thing. 
So it sounds like, you know, the adage, right, is, you know, give the people what they want. But what you guys have to do is actually give the people what they don't know they want yet. If you're doing, if I think if you're doing your best job, that's what you're doing is giving them like they understand, like, like Digital said, like you, you got to be a student of the past. They know what they already have experienced and what they've already liked. Well, if you give them something, I mean, look, it's like the music algorithm that when you, you're like, I love this song. And they're like, you love that song. Okay. How about this song that you haven't heard before? Um, when that works best or when D, when digital is able to, to select what that is, that's an exciting moment. That's an exciting moment for his listener. And that's an exciting moment for a diner. You know, even if it's a, whether it's a, just a burger or pizza, things that were so there's such like touch points in our culture. If you can give somebody something just a little bit different, but it's still comfortable. It's there's still security there. That feels really good. Yeah. That's the key word, man. You, you, comfort and spoon feeding, you know, you got to help that medicine. You know, if you're going to introduce something new, you got to wrap it up in some, sometimes you got to deep fry it, you know, but you got to, one thing that I love about your personal restaurants, John, is you guys always find a way to, to put a really interesting gourmet take on things that feel like home. You know, whether it's just a cool specialty item where you're like, oh, they took the most common poolside, you know, I don't know, Dorito sandwich or something. But it's just like that little element that you kind of throw on something that is otherwise, you know, a masterpiece. But then you kind of throw this very common household, comfortable touch on it, which makes people go, I love when these two things come together. This huge, like elevated quality. I mean, every, every ingredient is quality. It's not the frozen version that I ate all my life, but that comfort, man, I'm telling you, if it feels like home, people gravitate toward it. And, and, uh, and I can't say, I, I got to echo the people don't know what they want until it's right there. And they're like, you know, they don't know until they, and they don't know why, but when they have it, then they know. And it's up to, to people like us to kind of figure that so out. So maybe the advice here is give the people what they want and then put some Doritos on top of it. You guys are both doing a great job um, of, uh, <laughs> of that's, you know, finding yeah, that balance. That's the first tip I give to, <laughs> as I give anyone the, is like, have you tried Doritos yeah, on this? That's a yet? good, cause I think that's going to be, yeah, the it's, the, it's, the, it's the way to go. You gotta, you gotta get people something that they know and then teach them how to know something they don't. So look, uh, both of you guys are doing a great job of doing that. Um, I wish, um, obviously continued success in the gathering business to both you, uh, both of you, John and digital. It was great having you both on the show. Thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Thanks, man. Thanks, Christian. My guests on Out to Lunch Acadiana today have been uh, radio personality DJ Digital and John Peterson of Social Advising. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on KRBS, and you can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about John and Digital and what they do by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast, which you can find anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, itsacadiana.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com and on our social media. These photos were taken by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of her work at lafleurphoto.com. One of these days, we'll get back to hosting Out to Lunch Acadiana in person and share a plate of sweet baby breezes at the French Press in sunny downtown Lafayette. Until then, you can go to the French Press yourself for breakfast or lunch or order it for delivery. Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. Producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producers are Molly Richard and Jan Risher. Our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Christian Mater, editor of The Current, Lafayette's nonprofit source for local news. To find out more of what matters in Lafayette, check out 
uh, thecurrentla.com and sign up for our newsletter. I'll see you here again next time around our virtual lunch table for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Bye-bye. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by... Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 